I can't because it's a way of taking Torah right into my body. It resonates. It lives inside me. So I'm not just thinking about it. I'm allowing it to live in me and resonate and do its work in me of reminding me of something that I know but I might tend to forget. by Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashi Venu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. This podcast looks at different resiliency practices in Jewish teaching and Jewish living. In this episode, I'm delighted to talk with my teacher, Rabbi Shefa Gold, about chanting. Shefa studied for the rabbinate at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and also received smicha from Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi. She develops Hebrew chants based on Jewish sacred texts. Shefa focuses in on one or two verses, and she creates beautiful mantra-like chants that open people up to transformation. She leads workshops, she's written books, and she's recorded several CDs. Shefa also has an app that I'm a big fan of called Flavors of Gratefulness. And this app has 49 versions of a prayer for gratefulness from the morning liturgy, which I use every morning. You can find links to Shefa's website in the notes to this podcast, and we'll draw on, on all of the resources that are found there in our conversation today. Shefa, thank you for being here. It's great to be with you. I thought we could begin today with a sample of a chant that you think cultivates resilience. This will give people an introduction to chanting and also will let us focus on our topic. You know, when I, um, when I have a question, the question and a spiritual question of how do I cultivate resilience, I start with looking at what are the obstacles. And when I look inside and I see my own obstacles, I, some of them I come up with are you know, my own reactivity when I get overwhelmed or feel alienated or go into a place of despair or or when I'm feeling cut off from my source. And I first, um, I, I want to do some inquiry into what those obstacles are and how I can meet them. So when you ask the question about resilience, I, um, I, I came across um, a line in the Psalms that seemed to perfectly describe my process of 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 my relationship to the to the you know to resilience. Uh, and the psalm says, um, even when I walk in the midst of trouble, even when I'm meeting all of these obstacles, uh, and then the last word of the phrase says, which says to God, you are giving me life right now. There are resources available that I'm not aware of, and I need to open to them in this very moment. So when I came across that phrase, I, I just thought, wow, this is a, a description of the cultivation of resilience, which is meeting the obstacles and then awakening to the possibility of renewal in this very moment. And I began to play with that phrase and chant it. And I chant because it's a way of taking Torah right into my body. It resonates. It lives inside me. So I'm not just thinking about it. I'm um, allowing it to live in me and resonate and do its work in me 
of reminding me of something that I know, but I might tend to forget. In the last uh, week, you know, since you asked me the question about resilience, I've been I've been dancing this chant and uh, opening up it, the power of this sacred phrase. So I'll just um, for a couple minutes see what you think. And the melody itself really holds the kind of description of the journey towards resilience. Thank you. You know, what I think about so powerfully is both in the language of the of the basuk of the verse that you've chosen about God giving us life and then in your description of talking about the process of creating this chant about being awakened to the resources available. And I just find that so very moving because I, I wasn't really thinking about it, but from an embodied perspective, when I am feeling, what's the opposite of resilient? When I am feeling, um, when I'm struggling, when I'm turned into myself, I really am kind of collapsed and looking down. And the notion, and then, and you, as you said, you, you captured it in the music as well, of looking up, of being infused with new energy and new awareness. It, it's, um, I think that you're exactly right, that that's a powerful pathway toward resilience. In the practice, what I want to do is to really take the journey into the center of what, what's wrong, what's the difficulties, to acknowledge it with compassion. And then, in that very moment, uh, to open up to the, to the possibility of, of joy and curiosity and insight and a wider perspective. And in that moment of, of opening, I kind of let go of my story, I become curious, and I connect with uh, with both inner and outer resources that were always there, but I was sort of too um, kind of tied up in my troubles to notice. 
And with that noticing, I, I reignite my enthusiasm for the journey. That's very moving. Can I ask you to talk a little bit about the, the modality of chanting, I think, is, uh, is, if not universal, it's widely available across traditions. How and why it is that you turn to, to Jewish sacred texts? Why Jewish sources serve you well in that exploration? So my, my journey to, to chanting was one of just wanting to have a relationship with a text that that was fully embodied and uh, really coming from my intuition that each sacred text that I encountered was kind of like a doorway and inviting it was inviting me to enter through that doorway to find a, a, a deeper truth and our tradition tells us that you know that, that our sacred texts have many many layers and levels and levels of of meaning that can unfold if we stay with them, if we enter through them. And so my life has really just been this adventure, this exploration into sacred text to see what would happen if we took it off the page and brought it to life. Through everything I know about music, about how melody and harmony affect consciousness. So for me, it's been this realization that I have inherited this great treasure house of of uh, sacred phrases that can be uh, brought to, brought to life and be transformed into, into tools that can then transform me. That's wonderful. One of the things that I so value about the body of work that you've created is that when I'm out in the world teaching, I can teach sometimes, most often in Jewish settings, but sometimes in secular settings, and I can bring just one verse from the Hebrew Bible or from the Jewish liturgy, and it's exactly the doorway you described, that some people who've, who've never engaged in Hebrew, some of your chants have English in them as well, but significantly in Hebrew, and I can invite them in, and they, they love it. They, they fall in love with the imagery. They fall in love with the music. And in some of them, it sparks something in them, and they go looking for the larger text that line was drawn from, or they go looking for just text in general. And that's been very exciting to see. You know, for me, it's a way of falling in love with the, the text and to engaging with it fully, and, and also for, for its meaning to evolve over time this chance that I created 25 years ago that keep having new new life in different contexts and new meaning unfolding the longer that I you know that I chant them but what I find is is that I I put these chants inside me so that they'll be there when I need them and in the cultivation of resilience when I come across a, um, an, a an obstacle I might be able I might just reach inside me and find what is the, the medicine, what is the sacred phrase that can help me return to center to, um, to access the resources that are inside me to meet this challenge of, of this day. That's wonderful. One of the things that, as someone who does sing and chant a lot, one of the things I most enjoy is sometimes I'll notice myself singing while I'm washing the dishes or I'm taking a walk, and I'll say, oh, what am I singing? And then I'll pay attention to the, oh, it's this chant, or it's this verse, or it's this song that someone just taught me. And it's, so why is that rising up? Sometimes, as you said, you reach for it because you need it. And sometimes I find it presents itself to me. 
then it's a it's kind of a message from the soul, from the deeper place in you that say, this is what you need to remember right now. So I'm going to quote you back to yourself. You wrote, chant is the bridge between the inner life and the outer expression, between the solitary practice and the shared beauty of fellowship. And we've talked already a little bit about the solitary practice, and it's also very powerful to do this kind of chanting in a larger group. Can you explain what you think happens when people chant together in community? Well, when we we chant together in community, we start to breathe in the same rhythm with each other. We we, we create an attunement with each other, and uh, we're on this, we're on a journey together. And so, I find it an incredible way to to bond at a deeper level beyond the level of our personalities and what I call the soul level of our connection. And when we chant, we are we're we're raising energy, and in the silence, that energy then can be used uh, for healing or for inquiry or for connecting to ourselves, to each other, or to God. And when we're chanting with a group, it seems like that energy is just mag- magnified of what we can create. So I want to take it back to um, possibly solitary, although certainly not exclusively, and to talk about the importance of practice. In all of the studies I've read from a secular perspective about cultivating resilience, they talk about the importance of practice. Um, about setting intentions and following through on them in various practices that calm the mind, that are frequently heart-centered, that help us to set intentions. And I have found that chanting is a really important part of my practice. I do chant every morning from the, the morning liturgy, Moda Ani Lefanecha. I'm grateful to you, Adonai, for the life you've returned to me. And I use the, your app, Flavors of Gratefulness, to support me in that practice. So I'd like to ask you to reflect on your thoughts on practice and how chanting can be a component of a daily practice. Well, I think of um, the, the repetition as a way of just creating a, a new groove in mind. I think that you know, brain science has shown us that, we, that our brains have this kind of negative bias. We've evolved to be able to just notice the danger and notice what's wrong and to overcome that negative bias I have to create a, a new groove and that, that new groove is one that is opening to not just what's wrong but what is what is what is profoundly right what is the, the, the blessing of our existence the miracle that we might overlook so to open my eyes to that and you know, to overcome that negative bias, I have to do that that practice again and again. I think it would be important to to um, to map out the anatomy of a chant of every chant, which has these three parts to it, and each of those parts has its importance in the practice. The first part is in the setting of intention, and before I even my op- open my mouth, I want to direct my heart. Toward what is what is this for? Why do I need it? I become vulnerable and I acknowledge the the importance of this practice. I really set myself up on a path of transformation, knowing that I, I may be a different person at the end of this practice than I am before it. So I that building of the intention also includes understanding what the words mean and what their purpose is and what their context is. 
That's the first part of the chant before I even make a sound. And then the second part of the chant is that during the chant itself, I'm giving everything I have to it. Every time the repetition of that chant comes around again, I ask, what more do I have to give? And you don't have to be a great singer to be a great chanter. Really, to be a great chanter is to be able to reach inside you, find what's inside, and bring it out, bring out the, the truth and the passion of of your own inner resources. And so each time the chant comes around again, I want to bring more of myself to it. And then the third part of the chant is the silence afterwards. And during that silence afterwards, that's when I receive the benefit of my practice. And I want to be able to stay with the feelings that the chant has opened. I talk a, uh, a lot about there's a, there's a kind of a door that opens at the end of each chant. And in the silence, I could walk through that door and uh, receive the benefit of the chant, allow the feelings to penetrate, and really notice what, uh, what, what the power of the chant has done for me, who I am now at the end of the chant. And I find all, each of these three parts of the chant are really important, and, and if you miss one of them, you, you can miss the, you know, the complete power of the chant. It's interesting. I also have a daily meditation practice, and I will say that that arc that you just described around a chanting practice, I do experience six days out of seven, you know, that I chant in the morning and I'm, I'm not a morning person, so I'm often in a fog or I'm kind of blue, that bent toward negativity that you mentioned. That's, that's often how I wake up. And after five minutes of chanting, three to five minutes of chanting, I am frequently in a different place. And that happens very, very regularly versus with my meditation practice, you know, sometimes I have a busy mind and sometimes I fall asleep. It's far more variable. And I, there I'm in it more just because I'm still kind of just trying to convince myself that this is good for me. And I know it's good for me, but, it, but I don't always experience it as such. And the chanting I am filled up with song and with intention in a way that is really feels like a gift to me every morning, or most every morning. There's a rule about practice that I, I love to follow, which it is that we are moving through different states of consciousness. You know, you may wake up in that one state that's kind of, you know, fuzzy and negative, and then the practice helps us to move to a different state of more clarity or positivity. But it is the awareness of that state which allows you to be able to access it and uh, create those kind of new neural pathways in, in the brain. So, uh, so bringing aware, you know, when you're done with the chant and you bring awareness to what is this new place that I have that I've just brought myself to, that awareness. Um, creates a, a pathway for you to be able to more easily return to that that positive, positive more expanded state. I think that's exactly right. I mean, in reflecting on what I just said to you, I just I think that a meditation practice I bring to it a lot a fair amount of anxiety and a fair amount of judgment, and a chanting practice in a certain way it's simpler. It's just more um, infused with joy. Like there's just an openness to it that to the whole experience, I just am less self-conscious in a certain way. 
when um, you have a practice that is pleasurable and beautiful, you're more apt to do it. Yes, it's true. <laughs> I, my, I am more reliable about my chanting. I mean, I'm pretty good about both, but... I almost never miss chanting, and I sometimes miss the meditation practice. <laughs> well, I like to I like to bring them together because I think they're that the two practices are very complementary. I do both, and I I uh, I feel like the chant gives me an entranceway into the silence that helps to um, clear my mind and open my heart and relax my body, so that I can better easily sit in that silence and and and, uh, and really go deep and um, and at the end of the silence I like to also chant so that my chant is then coming from the deeper place that I've reached in the silence so uh, I, I I teach the practices of uh, the silent meditation of Kut, of, of connection to God in conjunction with the chanting practice the chant brings me to a place of, of focus, and then in the silence, I can really uh, receive the, the, the benefit of having connected with that mystery, and I can I can be there in, in the silence much um, much deeper, much longer after I've chanted. I think that's really true. And in an expansive morning, I will, that's exactly how I'll start with chanting and move into meditation. And I have a lot of mornings when I'm on the run, um, either because it starts early or because I've gotten a later start than I intend. And it is the chanting practice. And again, I want to thank you for the app because I just, I just go to it and I click on what's next. And, and I, I've been able to really make it non-negotiable that I start my day mm-hmm. with this with this prayer, this ancient prayer, using the most modern of technology and using <coughs> melodies that you've written over recent years to, um, you know, to set my intention and to orient myself toward the day. You know, when I think about um, resilience, I also think about uh, Yitro, who, you know, Moses' father-in-law, who comes to him and, uh, and says, you know, this lifestyle that you're that you're creating for yourself is not sustainable. You really need to rethink it to be able to look and see what are um, what are the requirements for you to stay balanced and connected and centered so that you can do your job. And uh, and I feel like that's a, a question I'm asking all the time is is to say what's going to help me connect to those inner inner resources. And if I'm not giving myself the right amount of nutrients, the right amount of alone time or wilderness or sleep or uh, or study, um, what all the requirements of, of a balanced life, then I'm going to not going to have that resilience. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm going to be more, you know, vulnerable to places of despair or disconnection or alienation. So I think what it takes is a is a really looking at the whole of life to see what are the what are you know what I call the requirements for sanity or center or centeredness in my life. And I ask the question, you know, what is the minimum daily requirements for those practices? that will allow me to, to lead a life that is sustainable and to, and to build up a practice 
that will help me to shine, to serve, to you know, walk my talk. And I often say that uh, to uh, to spiritual leaders that it is your practice, you know, that is important because your leadership is the overflow of your practice. And I think that goes for all every kind of service in the world that we bring. And if we don't have a, a practice, we're going to burn out. And it's a it's a wonderful way to end. I, I think that's exactly right. That the entire intention of this podcast and the series that we're creating is about to help move from a place of reactiveness and overload and overwhelm, whether it's on a, a global level because of geopolitical events or whether it's on a what 21st century living looks like where we're constantly plugged in or whether it's because of personal challenges that people are confronting in their lives to try to focus in on practices and on resources that allow us, as you said, to find a place of centering and to tap in to our best and I think truest selves. And that's, you know, that's both our interior conversation with ourselves and, and with whatever conception of the divine we have. And it's also, I think by locating this within a particularly Jewish conversation, it also means it arises out of conversations with our ancestors who created these sacred texts and other sources that are all pointing toward holiness and toward being most fully human and being in relationship with the divine and with other people in the best possible way. Shefa, thank you so much for your wisdom, for this this uh, extraordinary practice that you've really helped to bring to the world and for this time today. Thank you for the opportunity of sharing I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman. This podcast is a production of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and Jewish Reconstructionist Communities. Please visit our website at www.jewishrecon.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.